The Ram Dhamma's Kingdom by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 15. Now you see him, now you don't. Gerald stood in front of the transmission room console, listening attentively to the Ram Dhamma's directives and appraisals of the basin situation. As a zome, it was not his place to question the supreme authority. He was a machine, and although he had thinking ability, he could only give back what was required of him. Finally, Gerald, let me say this, said the Ram Dhamma as he thought for a few seconds. Three weeks have passed since the insurgency uprisings. Three weeks since we used our defenses against them. The lesson was learned. They have responded well, working around the clock to repair the damage. The damage from a small minority that would tear down everything I have worked for. They are fearful, yet I can sense a dwindling of authority. Zome harassments have been on the increase. Third predicator, I think this will pass. The history of the Basin demonstrates the re-emergence of the Kingdom Authority. Sooner or later, over hundreds of years, there is always some kind of rebellion. They will never learn. Somehow, it is ingrained in these humans. Treacherous, law-defying creatures. I will have it no more. No more rebellions, Gerald. No further work stoppages. No insurgency. I will only have loyalty and obedience. Yes, third predicator, I understand. It will be done for your goals, for the Basin. I want to keep them on edge, make them fearful of challenging my authority. What do you have in mind, third predicator? Death squads, computerized selections will be made. Death will be immediate upon selection. There will be no exceptions. There will be fear, fear of me, fear of the zones, fear of the kingdom. And you will begin diminishing food supplies another 5% during every work period. Is that clear? Yes, third predicator. I will begin the operation at once. Lastly, insurgency. A change in policy. Round up the leaders. I want them publicly executed. You have all my orders, Gerald. You will connect me to the screen in General Kellogg's cell. Switching now, Third Predicator. Kellogg stood in front of the paper-thin screen in his cell. The general had gained several pounds during his confinement. He flinched as the Ram Dhamma came over the screen. Well, I wondered if I'd see your charming face again, he said, crossing his arms over his chest. What the hell do you want? Oh, General, so pugnacious, so rude. I would think you would be more gracious. Gracious? Of course. I have arranged for you to be well-fed. You have not been tortured. Well-fed while those people have been starving. I don't like it. Yes, I fear the Zomes have not been forthright with me. General, I need your help. You need my help? Asked the distrusting Kellogg. You are not a machine like them, General. Thanks a lot. Why do you think I brought you to the Basin? I want you to take charge eventually, but I can't do that right away. Explain yourself. What do you really want from me? I need your help to search the Basin. I want you to personally check all the locusts, question the zones. You must find more food. I don't believe it. 
smiled Kellogg, shrugging it off. The Zones must be storing the food somewhere. Production is high on the fields and the factories. For the sake of humanity, General, please. Humanity? What are you saying? asked Kellogg. I am saying the people you see in the basin. Four million or so human beings, the last of their race. What? shouted the General. Are you saying Earth? Earth is a frozen wasteland. There is life, but very primitive. How? War? No, General. Mankind had nothing to do with the demise of his planet. It was a natural change in the orbital distance and inclination. Lie. I don't believe it. It is the truth. And unless you find out what's happening all over the basin, people will starve. Kellogg, frowning deeply, began pacing around the cell. He had no idea what was happening in the basin. His only other alternative was to sit in his cell and do nothing. Can I have a full run of the basin? Of course you can, General. Find out what is happening with the food. All right. Get me the hell out of here. And do I have to wear that hokey zone uniform? No, I will have your military fatigues formulated. You will have them within the hour. Now you're talking, he said loudly. If you will let me, I will find answers, and the people will be fed. The screen went blank, and Gerald, watching the conversation from the transmission room, produced his zone smile. The Ram Dama came back on his own screen, but he was very serious. I take it you heard everything I told the general. Yes, I did, Third Predicator. What are your orders? My orders are to keep a contingent of zones with General Kellogg. Do not let him leave the basin. And after the general has tired himself of searching, then you will throw him the bait. I will be waiting to reel him in. Rest day was welcome all over the basin. It was only the second rest day since the sabotage and retaliation. Children played games on the concrete as their parents looked on. The food shortages were the prime topic of conversation, and for the first time there was talk of an actual work stoppage. Docker and McGee had accompanied her parents to an upper terrace. The idea of a boycott, said the short-haired Greycore, is completely out of order. How can you even talk of such a thing, McGee? Greycore, you work all day and sometimes nights in the mines. Now you're coming home to empty food cabinets. Only the bare essentials. Your friends, these things run in cycles, McGee, retorted Greycore. Be patient, things will get better. Your friends, some of them have been begging for food. How can you just keep working? Because that is the way things are done, he said bluntly, looking over to his wife. McGee, said the red-haired Shara, look what happened when the insurgency stirred up trouble. Everything has gotten worse. I think you two would both work if there was no work. I have been taught to do so. The kingdom will not allow things that are out of order, added Shara. More people will die and suffer. Food will be withheld. I think it's being withheld right now, replied McGee. You have no proof of that, Darka told him. Even if it were true, said Gregor, the Zomes have good reason, with all the violence that had been directed at them. We have to prepare ourselves, continued Shara, holding her husband's hand. Life does not mean getting up and shouting every time something doesn't go right. That's not what I was taught as a child. Right, Gregor? Exactly. 
Everyone must fear for himself and be able to take it, reverberated Daka. McGee shook his head, looking across the basin. You will see, as he stared at the mountains. Change does not come when the waters are calm. My friends, I think a storm is brewing across the basin, said McGee as he stood. And you are going somewhere, McGee? asked Daka. Aaron, he was supposed to meet us here. He will be coming, McGee. Sit down. Rest day does not come very often. No, I'm worried about him, replied McGee, looking down the dirt roads. He should have been here by now. Probably some insurgency things. You will not speak of the insurgency, Daka, scolded her father. Now both of you. I have to check on him, said McGee. I will be back. Enjoy your rest. I will come with you, said Daka as she raced up to him. Gregor's face grew red. Now, Gregor, said his wife, let them be. I can remember a time when we were young, when you were told I would not be with you. He might remember, of course, smiled the gray-haired man. He reached over and kissed his wife. We will let them be. They arrived at Aaron's hut a few minutes later. The muscular sector leader was putting on a fresh shirt. His normally calm demeanor had been turned in another direction. Aaron, where have you been? Daka shouted as she came in ahead of McGee. We were worried about you. I'm all right, Daka, he said, trying to force a smile. McGee could see the consternation in his eyes. What is it, Aaron? He looked over at Daka and then back to McGee. I've just met with Lockwood. The Soames had begun an attempt to round up insurgency members. They are planning executions in the control sector to be broadcast on the locust screens. That is not good. What can we do to stop all this? If things been planned, there must be something. There will be a meeting, and I'm not hopeful at this point. Lockwood has stressed another problem. And what is that? XB. They are ready to implement XB. What is XB? She asked. We don't know, said McGee, but we do know it's a new way to control the Basin people. And there is nothing we can do about it, Aaron said angrily. I know, I feel so helpless. We have to do something. We will. I don't know how effective it will be, but we will do something, replied Aaron. He was beginning to question whether it was all worthwhile. What really surprised him was Docker's action. She was not voicing her usual violent objections and gazed out the window in silence. I thought you'd have something to say about it. I am concerned like you are, she said, turning toward him. The whole basin was under attack. What's to prevent it from happening again, affecting our villages and huts? I never thought I'd see such things in my lifetime. Why can't things remain as they always were? Things, Daka, said McGee as he gently stroked her hair. We'll never be the same here again. Outside, they heard the now familiar sound of the overhead zoomers. Surveillance patrols had increased tenfold since the sabotage. The black machines in the sky were a truly ominous and frightening sight. I think, said McGee, looking up at the zoomers, I think it's time we left for the rest area. Let us settle down while we can. Shara and Greycore had been persuaded by friends to join them down at the Hooper area. 
Everyone roared with laughter as Graycar stood out with the young men trying to show them the finer points of the game. Having lost the precision of youth, Graycar lifted the huge orange ball into the air, speaking loudly as it sailed toward the Hooper tube. At least I am consistent, he told the crowd as the ball rolled beyond the tube. Give me time, give me time. We haven't got that much time, Graycar, yelled one of his friends. Yes, we all have to work tomorrow. As long as it takes. He missed the shot once again, and as he kept shooting, however, the black zoomer appeared overhead. It landed on the top of the hill. The doors opened, and a contingent of zones rushed out. Gregor, about to shoot, held the ball in his hands. The zones ran down the hill toward the hooper court. Shara, ever fearful of zone power, rushed to Gregor's side, and to their disbelief, the white zone leader stomped right up to them. Shara and Gregor, we wish to confirm your identity. Ordered the zone, and they immediately held out their wrist. The zone moved his finger over their identity strips. He nodded his head. They are Shara and Gregor. Is there some kind of problem? Asked Gregor, clutching onto his wife. You have been selected by the zone banks. We have been ordered to eliminate. A death squad? asked Gregor incredulously as the crowd began to yell and close in on the zone. Silence! Silence! yelled the white zone as the rest of the contingent drew their disruptors on the people. We have done nothing! shouted Shara. How can you do this? Consider yourselves fortunate. You have died for the kingdom, said the white zone as he personally opened fire. Their bodies became engulfed in bright green light clutching images falling to the concrete. The zones holding their weapons backed away from the hostile crowd. When they were at a distance, they turned and ran at full speed back to the zoomer. As the black machine lifted off from the hill, Daka, Aaron, and McGee came down the dirt road at the base of the rest area. What is this? yelled McGee as he looked up at the zoomer. They could see the crowd gathered high up on the fourth terrace, but they were unable to discern the problem. As they moved up the concrete, the crowd could be heard clearly. Aaron ran up ahead of them, pushed his way through the people, and then he froze. The bodies of his parents, Sharon and Graco, were sprawled motionless on the concrete. He could see the agonizing pain carved into their faces. They had been brutally cut down in a barrage of zone disruptor fire. It all made sense, but his rage was contained, leaving him almost catatonic. Daka was not as subtle. She broke away from McGee, moving past her brother to the bodies. Her parents had been alive just minutes before. The image of her mother's smile lingered in her mind. Both her parents were gone, dead, right in front of her eyes. It was almost too much to bear. Can't be! It can't be! Tears rolled down her cheeks. She shook her head violently like an animal just released from captivity. Her cries muffled as she buried her head in her mother's bosom. Then she stared at her father's face, holding his head in her arms. The harsh reality of the basin was finally stung deeply into her soul. Clear the area, shouted Aaron, snapping out of the initial shock. His eyes were cloudy as he moved forward, waving his arms. Clear the area. We did nothing, shouted one man as he backed away from the mighty sector leader. Killed in cold blood, said a mother, shielding her child's eyes from the sight. Death squads! 
Aaron knew exactly why the death squads were being sent into the sectors. Insurgency, the movement to save the people of the basin from deprivation, had now caused retaliations that wiped away his parents. Under the guilt, he still knew his cause to be just. There were larger concerns for the basin people. Death was inevitable in the struggle for freedom. When death had knocked on his door, he had always been ready to face it. But now the death of innocent people close to him was not so easy to face. Where are they? shouted Docker as she stood up from the bodies. The Zones! Where did the Zones go? Probably back to the Locusts, said McGee softly as he tried to comfort her. We tried to stop them, someone else in the crowd cried. But it was too late. No one is at fault here, said McGee, except the Zones. For McGee, there was no guilt in his association with the insurgency. It was the Ram Dama's deep eyes that kept revolving around in his head like ducks in a shooting gallery. He could see the trail of death. Bake, lying in the arena dust in South America. Hutchinson, a small cog in the larger plan. And all the people on the SRT vanishing into the darkness of space. And Annie, he had played back her death so many times in his mind. Sometimes he believed the thoughts would consume him. And there was only one way to combat such thoughts. He had learned the method so well in his lifetime. All he could do was march forward, forget the past, and keep living life. We have to get out of here right now, said Aaron loudly. They will be back. And if they are rounding people up, I... they will be looking for both of us. This could be a trap. We must all hide. You too, Daka. I cannot just leave my parents' bodies lying here, Aaron told him as Daka walked into a small terrace that overlooked the fields. I won't take this. This can't go on. What do they expect from us? She asked very slowly, building herself into a frenzy. Why? Why are we here? Why are we here? It was a question that had been posed by the basin itself. Again and again, the basin people had been told to produce. Produce for the good of the basin. It would assure a decent life. But despite the hard and persistent toll, food was being depleted at astounding rates. People were dying violently. Others were left starving in pain. Their only crime was being a part of the existing order. Survival was now becoming the one and only issue. An issue that could no longer be settled by strict compliance to the laws that did not work. Force had to be met with force. Reason, logic, right and wrong were only concepts, bystanders to the battle that was raging around them. Kellogg had never been to the heart of the basin. Although the dust and fire had settled, he could not help but be upset by what he saw. Food production buildings in a number of sectors were completely empty. Not a good sign for the people of the basin. Sector 3, next to the ocean, had been particularly hard hit by retaliation. Kellogg, in his green battle fatigues, walked along the shore, but was followed at a distance by a contingent of zones. For the first time, he could experience just a small part of the lifestyle of the basin. The stench of filth and garbage was sickening. Pipes were rusted and in many cases broken, the water trickling against the muddy road. He heard the cries of the little children, perhaps just out of the indoctrination centers, their bellies swollen from hunger. They wore rags for clothes and had no shoes. Everywhere, they rushed up to Kellogg as if he were some type of god. They begged him for food 
as the zones pushed him back. The strong and flamboyant general was moved to tears. He couldn't take it. He found himself deeply moved and had to return to the Zoomer. The children, joined by adults, watched him leave, almost reaching out as the Zoomer lifted high into the air. Their faces. Such despair, said Kellogg to one of the Red Zones. It was like one massive prison. This basin, I guess it doesn't concern you, Zones. They will survive, said the Zones. Survive, shouted Kellogg as he stood. Survive, he repeated as he looked out the Zoomer window to hundreds and thousands of huts spread below. There must be food in this damn basin. If I could just get underground to the subport systems. Such a move would be out of order. Then bring me out of the basin. Maybe there's food somewhere on this planet. Out of order. Everything is out of order. He wants me to help him find food, yet I'm hemmed in. There's something terribly wrong here. Terribly wrong. Do you wish to check the locus of this next sector? For all the good it will do, replied the general, looking down. You are free to check, general. Don't think I won't, just because you zones don't eat. Damn you, damn you all. Bring me down to this locus. Very well, said the zone pilot. You are so kind, said Kellogg, scowling. You machines must grow tired of following me around. If you are perturbed, General, I can send a single zone with you. We are in Sector 15. Kellogg studied the readout screen. The zone bank computers revealed storage facilities to be filled to 97% capacity. The general knew, however, such reports meant nothing. Readouts from the other sectors had given him hope before, but when he arrived at the food procurement buildings, he found the food bins empty. The doors opened as the zoomers sat down. Kellogg, followed by a single zone, hurried onto the sector roof. He moved directly toward the door within the supports. The zone activated the door and they stepped into the building elevator. When the doors opened on the lower level, the general could see his fears were well founded. He slammed his fist against the elevator wall as he looked into an empty warehouse. Rows and rows of empty bins against the gray stone walls. Discarded red wrapped boxes scattered across the room. Kellogg did not need any more convincing. The elevator doors closed as he headed to the top of the building. No matter what he thought of the Ram Damar and his methods, he had to use all his cunning to somehow locate a food source for these people. These people, the remainder of humanity, were trapped and starving under some tight-handed zone control. There had to be another way. Daka remained close to McGee and Aaron during the days that followed her parents' murder. The togetherness resulted not only because of the extreme sense of loss, but because she knew the Zomes would be hunting for Aaron and McGee. They have been dead for a week, yet I still cannot believe it has happened at all, she said as she moved up a staircase to the second floor of an old hut. I want to strike back. That's why you're here at this meeting, McGee told her. I must warn you, said Aaron. You now take the same risk that we take, Daka. You will be like your brother, a criminal of the kingdom. We are now all criminals, Aaron, she told him. Everywhere, there are incidents now. People are killed. Others remain in hiding. This is no way to live. I have to stand up against it. We will continue to fight the kingdom, no matter what the consequences. They made it to the top. 
There was only a single guard at the front door. He saw Aaron and opened the inside door. They passed into a small waiting room and they saw the other members in the central room. Their faces were worn by defeat after defeat. Something had gone wrong. Where is Lockle? What is going on here? asked Aaron, looking around the room. The men turned to each other with discouraging eyes. The man next to Aaron stood. And sixteen members have been arrested. Almost choking on his words. What? exclaimed McGee. When did this happen? Just hours ago. They have been brought to the execution cells in the control sector. I'm afraid the third predicator is taking the insurgency movement apart. Not only here, said another man. All over the basin, the zones, are rounding up suspected members. We are all doomed. No, we can't give up, said Aaron as he looked over to his bearded friend, Caston. He stared at the floor. Then he looked up to Aaron. Aaron, they won't consider any of our food demands. And food is very, very scarce. I know that, Caston, I know. But we do have our arms from the underground factories. I know Lockle was ready to begin distribution. Surely, the other sectors must be ready to give the people an ability to fight back. Lockle wanted to use those weapons defensively. He wanted to avoid a clash with the Zones at all cost. He felt the losses after the sabotage were too great. The Zones cannot be beaten unless everyone, not just members of the insurgency, unless everyone joins forces against the kingdom. Maybe if they knew they had the power casted, those weapons could give them the sense of power. And it could be disastrous, Aaron, said another man. The bloodshed could be enormous. The bloodshed is enormous. What are we supposed to do? Sit around and wait for the roundup? Let everyone starve? I will not allow that. We must release the stockpile of weapons and spread the word throughout the sectors. Let everyone rise up against the kingdom. You have that power, my friend. You know the location of all the underground supply areas and factories, but this is total anarchy, Aaron. Not anarchy, but control of the basin. Complete control of the basin? Asked the man next to the door. This is anarchy, shouted Caston. You are starting something that can be prevented. Prevented? yelled Aaron. It is inevitable. The kingdom has failed the people. We must be prepared to die for what we believe. Are you not ready to give your lives for what you believe? Yes, we are reluctant, Aaron. As he tried to stand, we are reluctant because you are right. I think we should spread the word. Stop the work, said Aaron. Stop all the work, and I will make arrangements to distribute the weapons before the Zomes locate them. They looked at each other. The implication to such actions was astounding. They were challenging everything they knew to be true. We will help, said the first man softly as he too realized what all this meant. You are right, Aaron. We are in the middle of something that has its own momentum, something that cannot be stopped. And you are right, my friend. The kingdom has buried itself. Join us next week for another adventurous episode of the Ram Dhamma's Kingdom, The Oppressed Planet. Produced by Fitton Theatre of the Words.